I'm going to turn real quickly. This is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a slide deck that uh, I refer to throughout our time because what we're going to aim to do today is understand a little bit more about the strategy and the effort that we as a church are going to lead in the effort of evangelism here at College Church. I want to start off by looking at Colossians 4, 2 through 6. And, uh, and it reads this. A moment before you get there. If you don't have it, I, I do have it up on the screen. So Colossians, two, uh, Colossians 4, I should say, I'm sorry. Uh, Colossians 4, 2 through 6. It says this, it says, consider, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, and that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. Let me pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I do pray that as a church, as a gathering, that we would take very seriously the words that are on this page, apply them, not just into our own lives, but the life of the church. And we begin to see the fruit of this application towards bringing in and welcoming those who just don't understand church. And may we be a body that welcomes. May we be a body that loves. May we be a body that instructs and leads into the most unbelievable opportunity there is on planet earth and that is new life in christ we pray this in jesus's name amen dr jerry root made me aware of this passage uh at least brought it to my attention uh recently because everything that we do as a church should be geared and designed with the unbeliever in mind from the way that we portray the outside of the church to our sanctuary to the words that are spoken from the pulpit should always have, if we do our job well as a leadership, as pastoral staff, as a congregation, should always have the person who doesn't understand or know Christ in their life should have them in mind. In fact, even in sermon preparation, and my colleagues, and you know, as they, they challenge each other in understanding and how to teach the word each week, there's always a question of, well, what is it and how is it applied to somebody that doesn't have an understanding of Christ? How will they receive it? Take that methodology and now apply it to the entire church. How we appear, what we offer, who we serve. And it begins to shape and change a lot of things that we do. We're no longer just doing it for the purposes of ourselves, but now we have an eye to the outside world and saying, 
wow, with the changing culture, God's word never changes. It stays true and solid and fast. But it could be presented maybe slightly differently to a 20-something, to a new culture, to a new generation that may have been just a little bit different in the ways that we've done it in the past. And I've often thought that as I've come on staff in this role as pastor of evangelism, there is no desire on my part to change anything in this storied history of a church that's 150 plus years old, but then just to tilt it maybe one degree, not off the center of its biblical orthodoxy, but just in our ability to, to, to be invitational, more invitational to a culture which is continuing to drift further and further and further away. And let me just ask this question. What if we fail? What if our church fails in this mission of reaching this community? Think of the ramifications. Think of our location next to Wheaton College. If we fail, what happens to the school next door? If we fail, what happens to the city of Wheaton? If we fail in reaching this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, what happens to Chicago? What happens in the leadership position that the church has had around the world? Ladies and gentlemen, this is why we can't fail. This is why we have to continue to put the heart of the gospel foremost. We have to be true to our tagline, College Church, proclaiming the gospel. So, how do we do that? Well, fortunately, as a church, we have a vision that is lockstep in what this conversation is all about. Our vision statement is the God-centered gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed in us as a church and through us to the world by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Do you agree with the vision? Do, you, do we know what a vision statement is? So I come out of the, the corporate world where there's mission statements and then there's vision statements, and the mission statement is the activity that you do that is unique to your company. This is what we do. And then the vision statement is if we do what we're called to do in our mission statement, the vision is what we should achieve. So, here's the vision. The God-centered gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed not by Josh Moody alone, but proclaimed in us as a church and through us to the world by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. This is stuff that, I mean, it makes me just want to get up and run out the door. This is exciting. This is good. And I'm up here because it's your fault, okay? You hired me. This was the initiatives, the pathway initiatives from last year, and we'll develop a simple invitational pathway for our gospel ministries. Discover Jesus, grow in your faith, impact the world. We'll develop that pathway by calling a pastor of evangelism to lead the Discover Pathway by June 2023. I... uh, I'm going to be referencing a study that's been done by the Luis Palau Association. And it's an excellent study on evangelism in the church. 
and it was specific to the city of Portland. And they zeroed in on Portland because they said if, if Portland can be reached with the gospel, Wheaton could be reached with the gospel. And in the first line, first summary that that report, the Portland report came back with was the culture of evangelism in a church must emanate from the leadership of the church. If the leadership of the church is not about evangelism, it's going nowhere. We're going nowhere with respect to sharing the gospel to the broader community. And so I am a recipient of this, a a joyful recipient of the call to this mission. But I'm just one person. I'm a coach, and I'm coaching the, I'm coaching the, the audience. I'm coaching the team. We, we have to be the ones that take the field. We have to be the ones that go out into Wheaton. This is our mission. And as, as the leadership of this church, charging us, charging us with this task. So the first thing is, is to make sure that the leadership, and, and boy, We've got great leadership in this regard. This is a church from, a, from an elder and a staff standpoint that wants desperately to go into this community and to share our faith more actively and more effectively. Well, there's two strategies centered around the sharing of the gospel at College Church. <clears throat> the first strategy is what we call our front door ministry. I'm giving you a little bit of an inside view as to the inner workings behind how we as a church are going to be effective, more effective in sharing the gospel. One strategy is the front door ministry, and the other strategy is the evangelism strategy. Let me help you understand what these two ministries look like. First, the front door ministry. Also from the Luis Palau Association in the report was the realization that Sunday mornings for the church is a very, 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 very important moment of the week. It's the opportunity for the church to do what? Be the church. Proclaim the gospel. Serve. Love. Welcome the community in. And the door is wide open. And coming back, uh, you know, to my own story of when I came to faith in Christ, there was one thing that, uh, there was only one thing I knew about the church when I was 15 years old. What do you think that one thing that I knew about the church was? When it met, right? It met on Sunday morning. If I had a question, if I had a curiosity, I knew Sunday's coming. And I knew I can walk into a church. I may not walk into the right church, but I knew I could walk into a church to start exploring and answering some of my questions. So when you walk into our church on Sunday morning, it is hugely important, as I look at the physical front door. I'm going to break it up into two parts. The physical front door I'm going to begin with. It's hugely important that the first impression that we as a church make is one of welcoming. 
greeters. I'm, I'm, rec- I'm in recruitment mode right now. So I have a captive audience. You are, you are getting my recruitment pitch. If you want to understand the greatest amount of impact that you can make in about 20 minutes of your time on Sunday morning, be a greeter. And we need more men. Be a greeter. Put an orange lanyard on with your name on there and shake every hand of every person that comes through that door. It is hands down the, mo- the most favorite thing I do week to week at this church. I love it. I love getting to know names. And then the next week I go, Joe! You know, people, I'm giving fist bumps to kids. I'm, I'm calling them by name. I'm botching half the names. But, you know, I, they, they know I'm in earnest. I'm, I'm working towards it. But do you see what it does to the, the first impression of our church? If, if you've attended here for a while, let me, you heard it from Ruthie's testimony this morning in service. This is an entirely intimidating community. I had one of my football players come. Uh, he didn't get the memo this morning. He came to the 930 service and, and everybody else was coming to the 11 o'clock service, okay? He doesn't go to church often. So he shows up and he, and he goes, he goes, everyone was looking at me. I looked out of place. I was terrified. Where do I go? What do I do? And so he just sat outside and waited for his buddies to come at 11. That's how we look to somebody that doesn't go to church very often. We're very intimidating. We know each other. But put your... Put yourself in his perspective. Whew, that's a big hurdle to get over. Do you see how the front door ministry, greeters, ushers, kids' harbor staff, welcome center, everything from visitors' lunches, how all of those things work to lower the intimidation level for somebody who's coming and coming into the church for the first time? Having the right signage, information, connections magazine, things that help explain more of who we are. Our parking. I'm, I'm, we're here in the crossings, and I'm looking at the front door of our sanctuary. And if, if, if we parked anywhere down here, that is about a 20-foot climb to get up to our sanctuary. I mean, I, I was joking with Josh Maurer, I, I think we should like sing the song of ascents as we, as, we, as we march into the sanctuary like the Jews did to the temple. And, and I never understood it until I started doing what? The parking opportunity, the, uh, greeting people and listening to people as they came in and hearing their stories about, do you know how hard it is to come to church? <sighs> yes, now I do. I take my two legs for granted. You see how parking is important as a front door ministry. Accessibility. How about our facility? We have, a beautiful, we have beautiful facilities. This is one of my favorite right here. But when you walk through the doors, for somebody that's an unbeliever or unchurched, you walk up to giant pillars, a beautiful stately building next to a beautiful campus, and you walk through these big oak doors. I think they're oak. And you open them up and boom, we got about 15 to 20 feet until you're in that sanctuary. And then boom, 
This is a lot to, for somebody to absorb for the first time. It's a very obtuse experience, for lack of a better word. I was a mathematician, so obtuse sounds like the right word. Front door ministry, and now I'm going back into recruit mode. We need you. We need people in this congregation that are willing and wanting to lower the level of intimidation for visitors and newcomers. And why? It's for the gospel. This is all for the gospel. This is all for, so the church can be the church. So that we can do what, you know, I'm going to pause for a moment. You heard Truman and Ruthie this morning in the video. I didn't have time. It took about another minute to explain how Truman actually discovered the church. He knew about the church, but it was a Sunday morning and he was jogging by. He was running by. And he looked at this community flowing into this church and he goes, I wonder what they're all about. So next Sunday, he shows up. And then you hear the story of Truman brought me from Ruthie. And you hear this process of somebody coming to discover the church for the first time. Now, Truman had an, what he would call an, an unclear understanding of who Jesus was in his life. And it was through somebody else in the church who took him by the hand and walked him through the gospel and then he came to faith. Sunday morning, front door, church being the church. So the first thing that we have to do as in our evangelism strategy is just make sure our front door rocks. That it is the best front door in the city of Wheaton, in the area of, around Chicagoland that we have the best greeters, people who want to be there and want to know people by their name, ushers that are helping people, welcome center, and we can go on. But there's also a virtual front door. In this day and age, people have questions. Where do they go? YouTube. They go to YouTube. And so part of our effort in helping this church become more gospel-minded and focused is to ensure that our virtual front door is as rock-solid as our physical front door is. Our website, social media. Who's on Facebook here? Any, anybody? There's like a couple of people. Instagram? A couple more. This is not the social media crowd. I admit that that's okay. Do you know that the majority of people under the age of 25 gather a lot of their information through YouTube? And this thing called YouTube Shorts. I hear, like, David's over there nodding his head, and it's like, yeah. I, I'm in the world of 14 to 18-year-old boys. And you better believe they're all glued to their phone and they're all... It's where they get their information. And if we're going to reach the next generation with, with the name of Jesus Christ, that's a space that we have to be on, not in compromising who we are, but explaining rightly who Jesus is. 
and who we are as a congregation. There's indirect advertising, God-centered life, and Josh's, uh, Josh's ministry with God-centered life indirectly brings visitors to College Church. Podcasts, various things that happen out there, the, the name of College Church goes out. And we need to be able to have a receiving area that answers their questions, that gives them an understanding and a clear idea of who we're about. And they need to see all our faces, from the youngest to the oldest. They need to see all our faces on that virtual front door. Strategy number two is evangelism. And as I mentioned before, the Luis Palau Association did such an outstanding job with this report. Here are some of the observations that they made about the church in Portland that I want to share with you. And this is really little writing, so allow me to read some of these. Number one, as I mentioned before, evangelism culture in a church begins with the leaders. Two, a church's community service increases credibility, but not gospel conversations. We got to be clear that the things that we do in this community are important. They increase our credibility, but they are not a substitute for sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel has to come from us, not through a, a coat drive and not through just stars resale. Those are great things. Those raise the awareness and the credibility of the institution, of the church, of us. But there has to be something more. Three, the Holy Spirit's role is essential, but often overlooked. I love that our vision statement includes the work of the Holy Spirit in this movement called evangelism. And we need him. Four, most churches fail to celebrate new life in baptism. Josh, Josh recently, recently shared a story of a pastor in downtown Chicago that challenged the congregation to, that, that they would repent if somebody wasn't getting baptized each weekend. Whew. That changes things, doesn't it? But that's the celebration of new life. Could we get there? It's on us, isn't it? Five, the actual sharing of our faith equips us better than learning how to share our faith. I said this a little bit this morning. Just do it. You know, there's that old Nike adage, right? We just have to do it. We have to toddle. We have to fall. We have to stumble. And, and I am right there with you. I'm a toddler, and I have to actively share my faith more and more. And as the process of doing it over and over and over again, you invariably get better and better and better. Jerry Root talks about this all the time. He often, he says, I'm not an evangelist. I've been doing it for 40 years. And he's just better at it than I am. You know, I coach high school football, and I get a freshman who's never played football before, and let's just face it, they're terrible. They're, they're not good. Why? Is it their fault? No, they just haven't done it. 
They haven't gone through the eight steps that I make all of my linemen practice every single day. Eight steps. Lateral step right. Sternum block. This, this, this. We do that every single practice over and over and over and over and over again. And you know what? Now it's week eight of the season, and they're okay. They're okay. My sophomores are a lot better. By the time that you're a senior, you're without excuse. You've been doing it for four years. I can't think of a better example to help us understand the process of what it's like to share our faith. You can say, I just, I, I'm not good at sharing my faith. I don't think we've done it enough. And if we do it more and more and more, we become better at it. And there's a big difference between doing it and just perpetually trying to learn how to do it. If we perpetually are in class, always a student and never off into the real world doing the work, we'll just be a student of it. We could probably teach others how to do it, but we don't do it ourselves. And, and I stand here in indictment that I can do a better job myself. We're in this together. Forgot, I don't have them bulleted here, so what is that, six? Prayer for the lost is the exception more than the rule in churches. Again, hopefully what came out of today is if, if we started right here in just beginning to pray for the lost in our community, we will have already taken a significant step forward in evangelism. We all can be involved in the work of evangelism in this church just by doing that. 100%. I, I, I was going to challenge everybody. I want 100% involvement out of everyone in there, but this is a lot easier group, okay? Can, can I have agreement? I'm going to... Please, some, please don't say no. Can, <clears throat> can I have agreement that we will all write down one name? Can we write down one name? I have my name. Pray every day for that one name. And keep praying. Keep praying. Again, Jerry Root, who's helped me tremendously in this way, he says, it, it changes, it shape, reshapes your mind. It just changes everything as we begin to think outward about the lost. The reminder every day that I'm going to pray for that one person. And we begin to think differently. And the last point from this report is coming to faith is often a longer journey. This is a long game, not a short game. Keep praying. Pray that the Lord would reach those who don't know him in multiple ways, through multiple people. We all have stories that we know somebody that so-and-so spoke to them, and then there was an unbelievable circumstance with them speaking to this person, and, and then they, they got into this circumstance, and, and they heard it again. And that's the way the Lord works, and how the Holy Spirit moves. He accomplishes it. We're praying we're sharing. We're being faithful with that. There's a group, there's a secret service in this campus called the 40. <clears throat> and there's a group of people here who are forming. 
and this is again a recruitment pitch, there's a group of people here who are passionate about evangelism. And they've agreed to be a part of a core group of individuals who are going to help lead this congregation forward in, in the strategy of evangelism. We're, there's nothing special. Well, we're all special in our own way. But we're all just very ordinary people who just love to see evangelism go forth and to see God's word go forth in the hearts of those who don't know him. And so if you're interested in being part of this core group who want to help the rest of the congregation with evangelism here at the church and the strategy that I'm about to lay out in the, very, the four different areas, come see me. And starting with the first of these strategies, Evangelism 101, we are college church after all, so I, I have course numbers. 101, prayer. It has to begin with 101. We cannot skip the 201, 301, and 401 unless we've laid a foundation of understanding that we've got to pray for, a foundation for those who are lost. Evangelism 101, prayer. Grassroots and understanding, we as a congregation should have at least one person, maybe more. 201, share. As I was writing this, everything started to rhyme. Okay, the first one, 101, is prayer. The second one is share. We can begin toddling. We can begin learning how to walk. Learning how to become more effective and more willing to share the story of Jesus in our life. Understand and share the gospel message. I attempted to do it very quickly there this morning to just make sure that we all understood this is the gospel. And then just do it. You know, my own story was a Wheaton football player coming into my high school and witnessing Christ to me, using the medium of football, because I loved the sport, and so did he. And he captured my heart in a friendship, in a relationship, and he led me to Christ. And it changed everything in my life. Which gets me to 301, because what he actually did was he prepared the field He created and found an opportunity to share his faith through a common experience. The common experience that that he and I both shared was the game of football. I'm a high school student. He's a college student. I look up to him because he's playing college football. Who wouldn't? And he walked right into my life intentionally. And he shared Jesus with me. And I'll never forget in my parents' two-bedroom apartment in Lombard, him holding Bible study at my parents' apartment. I paint a visual for you. My mom was a chain smoker. Could you imagine walking into that environment in a two-bedroom apartment, smelling smoke, with three or four of my other buddies from high school, who also, we all didn't know the Lord, and there's Steve Ryan sharing. I can tell you, you know, I don't remember a lot of, sermons from the years, but we went through the Beatitudes. And to this day, that passage means something to me. All I think about is Steve sharing the gospel, sharing, sharing Christ with me. We got to that state because of football. What about music? What about moms getting together in the neighborhood? 
What about the workplace? Fill in the blank of all the different areas, what we call pre-evangelism, places where you create an environment for which there is a shared experience to be able to have a relation, relationship with someone else, a shared passion. You know why I'm excited about, I'm seeing Sarah back there, you know why I'm excited about sanctity of human life? Tell me another part of our culture where there's as much passion and zeal associated with it inside the church. And you know who I think of is, is I, I work with a lot of Catholics who are equally passionate about the sanctity of human life. And there's some of them who don't know Jesus. What about that being the medium from which we come together and form a relationship around for the sake of introducing them to Jesus? It's beautiful. When people are together, passions are shared, and where relationships are forged is a locus of gospel-sharing opportunity. Think about in your lives the areas in which you collaborate, you, you are associated with, where non-believers are at the table. It's an opportunity. Okay, I stretched it with this one, long-term care. I was looking for something that rhymed with share, prepare, okay. The long journey, okay? Long-term care. A lot of the times we jump right to apologetics because we feel that we're ill-equipped to be able to share the gospel. So we have to, in, in, maybe I'm speaking for myself, maybe we feel like I have to answer everybody's potential question out there about our faith before I even begin to share my faith because I don't want to what? fail or not know the answer. Again, just I feel like I should write a book, Lessons with Jerry, Lessons with Jerry Root. You know, he's, he, he, he said repetitively, he goes, one of the greatest things about sharing your faith is you can't answer all the questions. But what you can do is say, that was a good question. I'm going to come back to you. And now you have permission to go research it and then come back and say, hey, I want to get together again. I have some, I have a response. I have, I have an answer. But you see how this 401, you know, long-term care, getting trained with the difficult aspects of sharing our faith, encountering all the different things that our culture will throw at us and, 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 and the whatnot. You see how they're solved with just doing it. Just do it. And then have the opportunity to come back and sure. Final slide. Where do you fit? My challenge earlier was that we're all involved in this. That the mission is not one that is an optional mission. This is part of the process in the maturity in, in our faith in Christ. And to be honest with you, I utterly floundered in this area when I was in the corporate world years ago. I squandered an unbelievable opportunity to share my faith and to grow in maturity because I just didn't do it. For me, climbing the ladder was more important 
than looking at that person across from me in the, in, the, in the marketplace who was utterly broken because their life is in shambles. And I didn't, I didn't take hold of that opportunity. And, and I have regret. And now, knowing what I know now and the way the Lord has worked on my heart, I, I, I often say that I'm ministering to the gym 20 years ago. That I'm, what I'm doing today is, is really ministering to who I was 20 years ago and my mindset that I had back then. And may we all here not live life with regret. What if we started to use the platforms, the relationships, the opportunities, all the gifts that God's given this group, this room right here. And let's just start praying and then take a tangible step. I said you were coming to 101. I I actually, there's a little bit of bait and switch. You came to 201. We agreed in there to, to pray. What if we all began to take that next step? to begin sharing our faith, toddling through sharing our faith. And let us, let us help you in creating the resources that allow you to, to be able to do that. But, but you know what you're going to get from me? A lot of encouragement. Because there is no formula except just to do it, to share, have a relationship. And I know that looking at your faces today, there's already stories out there. But if you feel intimidated, so am I. This is a daunting task, but we don't do it alone, do we? We do it in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. And this is how he matures us. I love this passage in Colossians because I just listen to, listen to the way that Paul is writing it at the end of this letter and he's got the unbeliever in mind. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. The best use of the time that we have with an outsider is what? Proclaiming the gospel. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer each person. Can I pray? Well, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the way in which you charge us. Your word is filled with imperatives. You don't mince words. You challenge us. You push us. And you call leaders into our life to help push us further. And so, Father, I just pray for this church that we take one step, one tangible step in praying for and then beginning to be open to, in a very awkward way, sharing our faith and that we just keep at it. And I pray for this group that, Lord, you encourage them and help them see the fruit and the harvest that is just waiting for the workers. We lift this 
In your mighty name, Jesus, amen.